Welcome to the Masters of Mobility Innovation Podcast. You know, when I talk about mobility, I'm talking about cars and what cars will be like in the very near future. We're kicking off this podcast series to focus this episode specifically on the user experience of cars and what that means. We're going to talk to Marcus Paletti, the founder of Loretti Mobility and veteran product experience designer, Mr. Paul Afada. Welcome, Marcus and Paul. Thanks, Chris. You know, I think this is an incredibly interesting topic, and I want to go ahead and dig deep into it. There's a new car company out there called Loretti Mobility getting into the mix with EVs, but most of the car companies are talking about efficiencies and range, and Loretti Mobility is talking about the passenger experience. Marcus, with the rise of electric vehicle technologies, we see a number of new entrants. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you to start a new car company. Thank you for the introduction, Chris, and uh, thank you for bringing me on. I just wanted to say that I'm very excited to share this platform with Paul, and I'm looking forward to um, learning and sharing our insights. So it's interesting that you introduced uh, Loretti as a new car company. Uh, the thing is, when we first started Loretti, we aimed to take part in, in the EV movement by entirely focusing on vehicle development. Right? Today, um, we have become a mobility technology company that produces innovative solutions that also include electric vehicles, as well as crucial technologies, which we announced recently. So from the beginning of this project, we have been uh, consistent about promoting the passenger-first approach, uh, which basically led us to reimagine the, uh, the, the needs of future mobility. Uh, the kind of innovation agenda we have today has transformed our company from becoming a vehicle seller to um, to, to, to being a, a smart mobility provider across potentially, potentially across the globe um, with a kind of technology ecosystem that we could provide in multiple Loretti vehicles. This is a big undertaking. Talk a little bit about how you came to this and, and where you see yourself fitting in this. The story is one of the former heads of a, a well-known car brand in, in, in England asked me if I could um, help with a study based on a comment I made uh, in a casual setting within a group. And that led me to go to India and conduct the study along with other professionals. So in the process, um, I learned a lot. And when I, when I was nearly done, I found out that this gentleman uh, was uh, no longer be able to carry forward the, the project he was thinking on, fell, um, became ill, and... And, and, and not in a position to clearly use the work I produced. So the, the kind of confidence it built in me throughout the study process um, opened, in my mind, a lot of opportunities and go ahead with that with our own venture. So I picked up a call and uh, called Emmanuel Laurent. Uh, he's, a, um, he's a partner of mine working on different projects at the time. And uh, I told him the idea and uh, he quickly came on board, and uh, the play of our surnames, my name being Marcus Paletti and his name Emmanuel Laurent, um, is what, what has created a name Loretti today. Paul, you really have quite a, a background in terms of some of the companies you've worked with. 
Yeah, it's. Um, I feel like this is this. Uh, Loretti is this perfect storm of all these different types of experiences coming together. Um, you know, in the in the early days of my career, I focused on mobile technologies, um, not only creating the the applications that go onto a phone, but that the OS itself. Like, how does the whole thing run? And I think, uh, in a sense, that's what we're creating here with Mirror OS. Is what is the foundational software? that all things will be built on. Uh, that was one part of my career, but then I did shift focus from going more into tech enablement to really being more on the commercial side. And what do you do with these technologies? Like once you have them, how do you make meaningful product experiences out of them? And I did a lot of that with other companies on the product side, like BCG Digital Ventures, as well as um, uh, Daimler's Lab 1886, which I most recently led to develop businesses for mobility services. Now working with Loretti, it seems like these experiences start to converge together. Marcus, so when you were doing the study, tell me what the study was about when you were in India. So my initial study focused on understanding locally available supply chain to production quality to EV policy and regulations around it because EV was um, still a new concept. And um, this, I'm talking about back in 2016. So this is when I actually were able to sit down with a lot of uh, policy think tanks and um, walking into the uh, the government officials' office and understanding what's you know regulation-wise, industry-wise, in terms of technology. I was I was I was counting what's available, what's possible. So the first year purely being um, a nameless way, basically a lot of exploration in the study, and then. Um, Nine months down the down the line, I then realized, well, the passenger-centric approach is something that's uh, that's not done in in the last 30, 40 years, or so maybe even more. And I, one thing I quickly realized is that it took um, not much of innovation happened when it comes to the rear seat of the car. Um, so the decision was made on what car to produce based on where I sat inside the car instead of understanding or going from a thorough understanding of engineering or uh, taking market data. That wasn't that wasn't the defining factor. Basically, this is where we identified the problem. So you take this idea to your partner and what were the two or three things that you think were the most important for him to hear that he said, oh yeah, this is a great idea? Well, one of the first things that I mentioned was we have to look at the vehicle from the backseat of the car instead of approaching it from a driver-centric or vehicle-centric systems. Um, although it wasn't highlighted in the, in the initial conversation, but it was always there as a central theme uh, of our conversation, mainly because in a place like India, you have, if you spent over 50 grand or so, you have a driver with the car. And... Here we had a lot of talk about autonomous vehicles coming in the next 10, even 20 years at the time. The The conclusion was, well, if in a market like India, which is an emerging market, and we can compare this to all emerging markets being driven culture or chauffeur-driven culture uh, to some extent, and then in more developed markets, we rely heavily on the autonomous age um, shared mobility concepts, then the emphasis must be on the passenger experience instead of improving the vehicle system. The focus ended up being really on 
the passenger. And that was really the primary means of you saying, oh my gosh, this is something that's not being addressed and we really need to get to it. That's right. So um, I can see we are the only company in the market that's basically advocating on a passenger-centric movement, uh, addressing the kind of solutions we want to bring to the market, come through not just the vehicle, but actually understanding the, the needs of the future future customers. So that's that, that's been very important to us. Tracing that particular problem, uh, we found a lot of opportunities to to solve uh, to software and digital services and a lot of what's surrounding the, uh, the, the current consumer. So in order to do this, we, uh, we're not only creating a vehicle design, but also a new uh, operating system, we're calling it Viva, which contains or produces these sort of experiences by focusing on user experience and starting backward instead of going from vehicle design. So, so Paul, you know, in this episode, it's about user experience. What does that mean to the design of the user experience of a car? And, and tell us a little bit about how you got to this point. Chris, I've, I've spent about 20 years working in innovation and user experience design for digital products and services, and specifically how it relates to new technologies, new businesses, or new business models. In the past, I've worked with design studios, product companies, um, tech enablers, car manufacturers. Uh, all these companies had uh, the goals to create new, new products, but they also needed their customers to not only understand how to use their products, but to really connect with them and have a passion for them. So my focus of my career um, has been really to envision and design those, those user experiences for people whether that's a, a phone application or a watch or an IoT device or scooter sharing service um, or even a car, they all have a digital component which someone interacts with. I help create that unique and seamless experience for that interaction. So talk a little bit about why designing this type of product is interesting for you, Paul. You can think about the car as the ultimate uh, mobility device, the ultimate uh, digital product uh, in the future. It's um, designing a new car in-car experience is uh, quite an opportunity. It's not often that you get that at an early stage. And so um, when I learned that Marcus was was building a new EV with a passenger-centric experience, I wanted to get involved. I just love the ability to use design and user experience to shape what these product experiences can be, especially when it is a new type of product in the market that people haven't used before or haven't used in a particular way. And the continuous challenge is, is always going to be to rethink that experience as technologies evolve and, and new, new technologies are introduced. Describe a little bit of what the user experience is in the context of a car, and especially in terms of uh, passenger-centric experience. I guess first in a broader sense, uh, we can describe user experience as the, the customer's interaction with the product or service. And so UX designers focus on the user's behavior, their desires, uh, their goals with the product, and, and then um, the workflows of how they actually use their product to achieve the, the goals. There's lots of different related disciplines that are connected to it, like service design or UX design, visual design, usability, lots of connected disciplines that can come together when building these digital products. But in the context of the car specifically, I think all these type of activities and tasks you do while driving or sitting in a car, um, these are all little experiences and they're part of a total user experience of using a car. 
Uh, for example, interacting with a car's interior typically involves a lot of knobs and individual controls that you physically interact with to control very discrete tasks. You turn a knob to turn the radio volume up. You push a turn signal switch to turn your blinker on. You push a button or knob to change the temperature, grab the steering wheel with two full hands to move the car in, in a particular direction. It's all very manual. All these interactions have been designed uh, many years ago too. But now with evolving digital displays, more and more of our interactions are at least partially involve the touch or gesture on the screen. So we're transitioning now to these type of experiences. Some of the controls are physical, some are digital, but eventually these new technologies are enabling us to rely less and less on any controls at all. So you interact with voice to set these controls, or in some cases, the car is smart enough to anticipate your needs and you don't need any controls at all. Talk a little bit about the passenger centric experience, because that sounds like it's a whole lot different than kind of what we've been designing for a, a driver. That's right. Uh, yeah. The passenger first approach is, is really reimagining the mobility needs of the future from the passenger's point of view. So rather than that driver's point of view, which is more heavily leaned on traditionally, we're really want to focus on the passenger. Um, as we move closer to autonomous cars, uh, we can lay the foundation for the increased passenger experience. When you're not driving a car, what are the other things that you can focus on when you're just a passenger? Connecting to your family and friends, you're thinking about being productive and checking in on work matters or schedules. Um, you're also can simply be trying to relax and de-stress or have some entertainment. For some period of time, I was uh, commuting on a ferry from Vallejo to San Francisco. And the difference, <laughs> the dramatic difference between being in a car and operating it versus being on that ferry boat, having a table, being able, it, it was almost, it, almost a little bit hard to fathom at first because it was such a different experience. Marcus, talk a little bit about how you see this moving from a passenger-centric experience. Right. All the experience we're talking about today, the, the, what you experience today, it does exist in automotive, but it only, you have to buy a Rolls Royce for that. You have to buy, you know, you have to probably spend, you know, a Maybach or, 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 or a Lincoln if you look at Paul's point about he talked about all the um, all the control systems, knobs, and everything, you know how they were designed like many years ago, even decades ago, and which we we've been improving on. the The fun part of it is is that you know the touchscreen or the latest technologies today are cheaper to ma uh, cheaper to do it than going through the entire manufacturing cycle of producing those knobs and stuff. Um, and that's that's you know that's maintaining a set of unnecessary supply chain instead of, you know, putting a code here and, uh, and, and putting a functionality in it, uh, to it to deliver that experience on a, on a single iPad screen. So, so I think, you know, that, that's very interesting to see, you know, even economically is more efficient. And that level or, or, the, or the kind of efficiency we will see at that point is totally different to where we are today. The other thing that I think is, is interesting to just touch upon is, 
as nice as it's going to be to move away from all those individually manufactured controls and, and moving to a, an interface like an iPad has, we all, we all know that uh, you can do a really bad job at user interface on, on a program or that sort of thing. Talk a little bit about how you see your role in making sure that that process and that that user interface is really right on the money. In your typical um, car experience, let's imagine you're a uh, corporate business traveler going from uh, London to LA. And uh, today that involves a, a few conflicts flights and probably accommodation at different points, right? In, and, and, and that's your entire trip chain. Imagine an experience that you don't have to painfully organize all the itinerary in, in whatever involves today in your business travel. And, and also coordinating each leg of the journey um, at each point and also to an extent where not having to pull your, your phone out of your pocket every time you need to book a car or organizing a call with the driver or engaging to see where he is and all of that. So we try to address that sort of seamlessness here. And that kind of seamlessness today could be seen as a luxury element, but the kind of trends and the, uh, and, and the lifestyles we're stepping into, uh, at that point, it's a matter of efficiency and we're not, we're not too far away from it. And it is especially true today. It's a, it's a huge travel operation for businesses and for also individuals you know, managing, diff uh, managing different apps in the same trip chain. So Loretti Mira will change all of that. So both in and out of the vehicle experience, right? So now imagine as you land in LA, your watch or your phone guides you exactly where the Loretti car is waiting for you. And you hop on in the back and you're connected to the seat. And no matter where you are and what Loretti car you got into, the experience is mostly uniform, at the same time personalized. Now, from the watch data, Mira always uh, uh, you've been I mean, knows that you've been traveling all day and you're pretty much, you know, you're tired. And the seats pick up on your heart rate and uh, stress levels. The cabin basically understands the kind of mood and physical and emotional state you want, you know, you're in and, you know, adjust environment uh, inside the car according to it. Your itinerary as well is automatically shared with the driver so that you don't have to communicate at each leg of the journey. And you're on your way to the hotel and Mira reminds you of your next meeting. So this is a kind of convenience you were talking about. You know, when you think about what a, a driver is going to have access to, segmenting out driver experience versus passenger experience, my sense of it is, is that we've been so focused on the passenger, those will transfer over to the passenger in a variety of different ways. Although we see a big emphasis on using uh, Loretti cars as, uh, an, as, as an executive vehicle, but for fleet customers, uh, you have one particular experience and the same experience or similar experience is also accounted to, to cater for a nice family getaways and a private time for individuals for their day-to-day -day private use. Um, so, I mean, overall, the design and technology is well-balanced to cater for both uh, private customers and also for the fleets. Talk a little bit more about it and why you call it a, a passenger-centric operating system. 
So, like you said, Chris, you know, um, the Retimira is is an operating system. It's a mobility operating system focusing on passenger-centric experience. It focuses on connectivity, productivity tools, and you also have the in-vehicle experience and wellness um, of, of the passenger. So this basically works both inside the vehicle experience and also the, the life outside the car as well. So this sort of operating system we're trying to put together on the market, it travels with the passenger even outside the car. Reading from your materials, building up Mira, you seem to say it's totally different to any other OS that's out there. Tell us how and the reason why this approach is scalable, secure, and privacy respecting, as you put it. From a development point of view, Mira is about determining the, the foundation we want to build upon. Um, if you choose some proprietary operating system like I don't know, uh, uh, Android or Windows, uh, we're beholden to the restrictions that uh, that come with it. And also the inability to modify to our design needs would get us nowhere close to the vision what we have today. But Mira is about building an ecosystem, um, ecosystem with the features of op- uh, the, the functionality of operating system is at the heart of everything. So. If we take this into context, the way we are approaching development, uh, uh, development basically will allow us to build a platform that, um, you know, where we have a complete control to create the value from ground up and around it. Um, this includes strong security features uh, that we're promising as well by default, and 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 and, and privacy protections that are built in as well, since all the source code is available to audit and uh, we can develop upon and, and change and expand and the way we want to deliver it to the end user. One of the things that you've mentioned is a focus on fleets. Why that focus? Well, um, if you look at all the experts today, they proclaim the, the future of mobility is autonomous, digital, and fleet-focused. Um, I argue that if half of that statement is even true, then replacing uh, every vehicle on the street to be electric is not the answer. And uh, an autonomous vehicles um, focus on passengers as much as vehicles, them, I mean, the vehicle technology and vehicle uh, engineering itself. So we envisioned through Mira uh, supporting as much as 50 million users with as few as 50,000 cars. In this case, we, we, we're not essentially making money by selling cars at volumes, but actually uh, our, our balance sheet is basically dependent on to make the most of every mile by creating both the experience in car in such a way that it can efficiently service our end users. I understand there's a particular focus on Mira's part for B2B services. And if I understand this right, a serious consideration for fleet and ride hailing models. What is the service vision look like as well as the technical architecture look like? Uh, let me start with the, the vision you, you touched upon for B2B, B2B services, such as fleet and B2B2C, which is right hailing models. Um, part of the development focuses on allowing our fleet customers to operate Mira as part of their service, you know, for their customers. So the idea is to empower them with a great level of operational ease 
and service efficiency that we don't have today. I mean, this whole project involves uh, developing a firmware, kernel optimization, uh, tweaks in uh, operating system and app store ecosystem setting, and also have have that integrated administrator interfaces uh, for FMCs, fleet management companies, to manage very large fleets uh, for their enterprise use. As we are well aware, are huge concerns around uh, privacy in the technology world, especially as it uh, deals with consumers. I imagine you're going to see the same kind of thing, same concerns around mobility applications. What does that look like and what is Loretti going to do to alleviate those concerns? Privacy has always been a big concern in the user experience of products for a number of years on things outside of cars, as well as now it's starting to become a bigger issue in cars. Tech companies can commoditize user data, sometimes to future-proof their profits. However, Loretta is rooted in the ethics and privacy of digital freedom. With autonomous mobility and AI and technology accessing more and more personal and delicate aspects of human life, like the health data and emotional state and intents and purposes, we want to elevate the idea of data security and privacy to a service offering higher than what's presently available now. What you're saying then that the data that you collect about wellness and about what a user wants in terms of their experience as a passenger, that that actually sits on the user side and that your system does only access that information on my side when it needs it versus storing it all the time. And then- Yeah, it doesn't store. So you can imagine, let's say Tesla and Loretti is in a hotel business. And in a typical hotel business, somebody books a room and I have their name. I have, I know how much they paid, what updates they come in, check in, when they check out, who they came with, what they ate, and the, the bill, and that I can commoditize. What we are saying is, the hotel has a system. It only remembers two things. Who you are and how much you paid. Who you are is for compliance purpose. How much you pay is for accounting purpose. That is protected for you. So that sort of digital freedom is for you. That's right. It's almost like saying what's yours is yours. And we don't even want to have mm. any involvement in information that's extraneous to the specific user experience of a passenger in a car and what they're doing to get from point A to point B. Who I'm with, what I did, those things are not part of what you no. are storing. That's the brilliant thing about Mira. This is not a technology genius to build a system like this. It's mostly an ethical slash business decision. Mostly from the ethical point of view, this is the right thing to do. And I think if you look at it from the Facebook 10 years ago, all we cared about having a Facebook account. And 10 years forward, we're seeing Senate hearings, right? I'm taking that analogy today. We can consider the best company in the world, and everybody's copying that. Everybody's copying. You know, we can, we can look at the first best EV company, and most of these startups are copying that model and trying to get as much data as possible. I mean, the, the business model is built around that. And we made a decision, basically, we don't have to sell data, but we can add value to our product by building privacy into it. The system only remembers your data to an extent. It can give you most accurate service the next 
accurate service, that's all. And once you get off the car, it's all deleted. So we don't keep any of that. The system does collect the data, but it only collects the data to an extent where it can give you the most accurate and efficient service possible for your next layer of experience. And I think it's a really huge decision on your part to make this commitment to your customers that, you know what, we value you. We're not going to we're not going to deflate the prices of things to you and, and on the back end sell your data. We're going to give you a great value. We're going to protect your privacy in a way that few companies have done. And it sounds to me like really be a leader in terms of respecting user data and privacy. Absolutely. So that, that's exactly what we did. And, and even the platforms we chose, people who actually believed in this and in these values from an ethical standpoint, and actually built something from it. So when we talk about Mira, it's no more concept. We actually have the software tools and partners who actually put out those products. They're already out there. So basically, the, the concept we built today is basically come from these partnerships that we already made. As somebody who has a basic understanding of technology, when, when all this information came out about the U.S. elections and the data that uh, vendors to or, or clients of Facebook had access to, I think it was very easy to tell a story and for consumers to believe that, oh, it was just an oversight. And I said to my friends over and over again, no, 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 no. <laughs> there was a decision, a business decision made for a company to be able to come in and get not only to your data, but to your friend's data. That, that no. was not an accident. And I think no. that flipping that on its head and saying, you know, we are absolutely committed to not putting you in a situation where you have to worry about your data and what's being done with it uh, in this day and age is huge. And I mean, in, in our case, we're talking about emotional, mental data. The typical literary customer is, is, is not someone who picks a piece of technology or device and say, looking at all the cool stuff and try to play with it. We know our customers and we these kind of customers know what they want in life and how they want to lead each day. And we're basically empowering them to do make the most of each day by not distracting them. I mean, not having privacy, not having, you know, uh, feeling secure about their data is actually a distraction too. And and you can't be most efficient in those situations you know, if you if, if if basic things like these are compromised. And considering those five what the next five, ten years would look like, I think for us it's a decision to see you know, what kind of future do we want to be part of or building or leading. So yeah. this this was the decision we made. And I imagine from an AI standpoint, one of the biggest ways to manage AI from getting out of control is not having data for AI to be able to work on. And make. Yeah. So Paul and Marcus, you know, there is so much technology that's coming to vehicles. And, and I imagine right now, most of that focus is on the driver, but I also imagine that some of that's gonna make a transfer to the passenger side of the equation. Paul, talk about your sense of that and, and then Marcus, give us kind of the passenger-centric experience. Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. I think generally when new technologies are coming out in the cabin, they, they lead with 
the driver. And so I think some of these technologies that are either coming out now and in production now and, and still being conceptualized as well are, are going to become mainstream for the driver uh, in the next few years, but eventually go on to the passenger experience in a new form. I think we're going to see further advancements in the things that are already out there now as well. Like, for example, biometric entry, being able to use your fingerprint or your iris to uh, not only open the car, but to start the car. This is going to be a trend that we'll see bigger and bigger soon. Also, driver monitoring of their head movement and eyes to be able to not only track fatigue, but to also track distraction. I also think in-vehicle voice assistance is is going to become bigger and bigger. It's already in a lot of luxury cars now, but it's going to take a bigger presence in the um, experience for uh, the entire cab experience, whether you're the passenger or you're the driver. Adding to that, I mean, I can think of uh, augmented reality playing a huge part in heads-up displays to with navigation. That going to a different level would mean that saving a lot of dead miles on the streets. And I also see the kind of uh, entertainment that's being improved inside the vehicle experience will be a huge part because I think many people are already predicting the vehicles will become our own um, living rooms. Yeah, I think the vehicle is going through an entire rethinking right now. So we're in a transition period now between old cars and old business models. And once you start to think about cars of the future with potentially new business models, it really does open up to be quite different. And we can start to rethink what a car really is at that point. So as you look at this incredible undertaking and where you are seeing where things are now and the constant development driver side right now, and your focus moving to passenger-centric, both with Mira OS and with Loretti vehicles in the future. What's the timeline to see a Loretti vehicle on the road with Mira OS? Well, um, Chris, to start with, we secured the OS platform and completed the uh, the development architecture where we stand today. So we will showcase the uh, the, the Mira experience along with the, the, the Loretti vehicle uh, at its initial reveal. That's the plan at the moment. But at this point, we are looking at um, late 2023 for our vehicles to get to the market. Uh, but we are exploring ways to introduce our the, the, the technology as a package uh, even earlier than that. Um, there's a lot of excitement and and, uh, and and expectations on our new product. I think this will take a lot of uh, uh, development correction and in the process, just you know, improving on our on our technology. So, but at the same time, ideally, we envision a uh, a consolidated delivery plan where we could reveal the entire brand experience sooner than later. But the the most important thing for us is. Uh, focus on the product and focus on the delivery plan than showing some shiny prototypes. So in, in essence, um, Chris, things are moving and we're hitting the milestones and uh, we really secured some credible partners and partners that would help along the way. With the help of our great team and uh, great partners we have at this stage, we're on the right track and yeah, you know, we're looking forward to sharing more progress as we develop our product. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure finding out about what Loretti Mobility is up to and some of the really major concerns in terms of making sure that 
privacy and data are secure and not available for purchase to somebody who wants it outside of the company, that you're looking at how to create an experience for a passenger in a way that we've only begun to even scrape the surface of, I'm sure. And so I can't wait to hear more as this continues to develop. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thanks for having us. And uh, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful to, to hear about you know, Paul's insights and uh, sharing my experience as well. Yeah, we think it's going to be an exciting future. So thanks for having us. Thank you, gentlemen, and see you next time.